Hi there. Welcome back to the Hub of Junior Golf podcast, episode three. I'm Brian Burt, joined by the founder of the Junior Golf Hub, Roger Nick. Today, we'll welcome in the former president of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley, get uh, all of her insights on the world of junior golf. But Roger, certainly want to start off with, uh, you know, the topic of the day, and that seems to be scheduling in junior golf. Uh, some parents believe they have kind of cracked the code, if you will, to that there is a secret to how to schedule for your son or daughter to best get them ready to possibly be recruited and play at the next level in college golf. Certainly the Junior Golf Hub uh, helps with scheduling. Uh, give me your thoughts on where we're at with parents and junior golf and scheduling. There's a million tours out there. They certainly play in all 50 states. What's the secret? <laughs> secret? What secret, Ryan? I mean, come on. Uh, the secret is you got to play in the best events to get the highest rankings, right? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Um, actually not, right? So let's uh, let's put that on the table. I think too often we do hear parents talking about what events they need to play in to get the highest ranking, you know, where they have to travel to. Uh, and quite frankly, they miss out on a lot of great opportunities locally. You know, uh, we see the best players who develop the fastest play the most golf, period, right? At the end of the day, they play events locally. They play them, you know, statewide. They play them you know, regionally, and then they play invitationals because they've actually earned those invitations because they played enough golf to get the skill to travel, right? Um, too often, I think you and I have talked about this at nauseum, how many parents are picking and choosing based on the ranking points or whether they're playing an event or the rankings go down. Um, well, let's, let's call it what it is. That needs to stop. Uh, I think we actually heard that last uh, or two weeks ago with Conrad uh, talking about he, you know, one of the biggest things he looks for is kids who love to play the game, right? Not because they're trying to get, you know, means to an end to play college, but they just love to play the game. So play local, play regional, play, in, you know, uh, statewide and then play, you know, national events. That's a, that's a great progression. So let's just, you know, open up Pandora's box here and give an explanation of what we're talking about. There is one ranking system that is currently really being used by uh, American golfers. It is called uh, the Junior Golf Scoreboard. And because really a lack of recruiting funds, let's be honest, to college coaches, their recruiting budgets aren't gigantic. It is the easiest and the most efficient way to identify who's playing good golf and who the top players are. So Junior Golf Scoreboard will start as early as third, fourth grade of compiling scores, and then they have this uh, ranking system they use to produce the top 10, the top 20, the top 100, the top 1,000, the top 5,000 players in that graduating class in the country. Now, Roger, one of the metrics that they put into their formula certainly is strength of field. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, uh, parents figured out that if you played in a very strong field, regardless of how you played, your ranking would go up. Conversely, if you played in a weak field but shot a good score in one, potentially your ranking could go down. And that is what is forced now uh, this epidemic, which is uh, parents trying to, uh, quote unquote, beat the system by scheduling the proper events. Here's the situation, folks. Roger and I have talked with hundreds, if not thousands, of men's and women's college coaches. Junior Golf Scoreboard is the place they start. 
that gives them the name and the city in which your child lives in. The reality is this. They don't recruit just 1 through 10. They don't recruit 1 through 20. If you go to a local tournament 10 miles from your house and you play really well, but it has a bad field and the yardage is legit, that's a great thing for your son or daughter. They just went to a golf tournament and won and shot a good score. It really didn't matter who else was in the field. And what I hate about this, Roger, is that this trickle-down effect is making its way parent year after year after year. And I see parents, Roger, skipping an event in their own city to spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to travel a thousand miles away to quote unquote, beat the system. I think it's a real problem. What can be done? Well, Ryan, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I, I think I alluded to a story uh, earlier uh, with you about, um, some parents traveling internationally to get wagger rankings now, right? Because they they feel that the the system that's in place right now in the U.S. is not adequate enough, um, or therefore misleading, right? So uh, I, I think one of the things that you know parents and kids have to look at is this: you know, when local, when when regional, and then when uh, you know nationally, right? So if we think about what's going on in the ranking systems too, Ryan, I mean, I I think you know, quite frankly. We're not even seeing half the kids that are actually out there playing golf because you're not seeing international kids in the in the junior golf school board ranking as much. Why? Because they're not playing a lot of events, right? They'll come over and they'll play in the HAGA events and they'll go into the HAGA ranking, but not necessarily falling in place of uh, the JGS ranking, right? So I think it's also misleading to a lot of these parents who are looking at just this one thing and thinking, oh, well, I have to then you know play my tournament schedule around this thing. Um, it just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, I, I think what parents really need to do is look at their kids' skill and understand where their skill level is, put them in appropriate fields to actually gain proper tournament skills, um, and then go out and win. Like you said, winning locally and learning how to win is as important, if not more important, than rankings. And every college coach that you and I have talked to will say that. They want a kid who's actually – they see the progression. They see they know how to win. And they're going to contribute to their their top five you know players when they get to college, versus maybe a kid who's played in these ranked events and never won, never cracked the top twenty. Well, they probably don't know how to win yet, and that's a skill, right? That's one of those skills that is hard to to coach. Now, listen, if you're a if your son or daughter is a senior in high school, and the recruiting process has been slow, I understand trying to get into a big event traveling and trying to get on some radars at you know towards the end of the line but for these 11 12 and 13 year olds oh by the way roger everyone on the pga tour will tell you who the best 11 12 and 13 year old when when they were playing golf and they all say that they all say the same story with maybe the exception of a, a tiger and a phil and i mean they are the exception to, to most rules but most tour players would be like, oh, yeah, when I was 12, so-and-so used to kick my butt. Yeah. And then 13, I got a little closer, 14, 15. And by the time he was 16, I don't even think he was playing golf anymore. You hear this story all the time. If your son or daughter is 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, there is absolutely no reason to be chasing tournaments at that point. It, what you said, Roger, it really comes down to can you dominate at your local level 
that will take care of the ranking in itself. If you're winning golf tournaments, it may, you may have a lower strength of field, but as you progress to 14 and 15, that domination at the local level is actually going to end up getting you invites to some of the bigger events. So uh, I just absolutely hate to see the idea that a parent would skip, and I see this all the time, Roger. This is not no hyperbole here. I see parents skipping tournaments in their own city and state, and the and they say just isn't ranked high enough. It would hurt them to go play. And you know, the junior golf scoreboard, they weren't intending this when they created this system, right? But out of a lack of funds and really anything else. This has kind of become, uh, especially for younger kids, what uh, parents believe is the holy grail, and it just isn't. Uh, I'll give you one last example. of. I mean, there are a lot of kids that aren't in the upper echelon in their own city at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and at 15, they start to whatever. They find their groove. They're a late bloomer. Listen, a college, go a college coach may put have you on a, a, a super far out radar when you're 11 and 12, but the reality is they're not recruiting anymore. You can't be recruited now until you're heading into your junior year. So it doesn't matter how great you are when you're in eighth grade. You better be that great in ninth and 10th because if you're not and someone passes you, that's the player they're going to be taking. The yeah. reality now, and I think the NCAA, which has made a, a lot of mistakes, Roger, a lot. I do think uh, moving it away uh, where, you know, there was six, seven, Ben James signed at UConn when I believe he was in the sixth grade, Roger. I mean, yeah. there was, you know, you talk about taking a chance. Now, obviously he's proved to be the real deal, but there are a lot of kids that accepted a scholarship in seventh and eighth grade that by the time they graduated high school, couldn't break 80. So the NCAA did do a good thing there. As far as, uh, you know, moving the date back until uh, summer going into the junior year, that's helped the recruiting process a little bit where sixth, seventh and eighth graders and ninth graders aren't being recruited. But the reality is dominate at the local level, have fun. And then as you get into high school in your sophomore and junior year, you can start to think about playing a tougher schedule. Roger, I want to welcome in the former president of the PGA of America. That, of course, the great Susie Whaley. Uh, no one knows more about junior golf, certainly. Uh, her daughter played at the University of North Carolina, as she did, and is now a professional golfer. Her niece uh, is playing at Duke, an All-American. So certainly, uh, Susie, you know a thing or two about how to uh, take a player, a junior golfer, and get them to the next level. First off, thanks for joining us on the Hub, a junior golf podcast uh, pick up the conversation with you. You certainly have your the pulse of junior golf in America right now. How do you see uh, the, 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 the way that junior golf is moving in our country right now? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And I, gosh, I definitely don't know everything there is to know about junior golf, but I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, um, we just have a lot of experience from my husband and I coaching. We've sent I think we've had over 500 families uh, in our programming, 300 children to college scholarships. So, yes, we are intimately involved, and we, we love uh, the junior golf space. And I think uh, currently, I do like, I caught the tail end of your conversation there, I do like uh, some of the changes that have been made to the recruiting process. I think what I'm seeing um, 
that I love about junior golf and the things I think that are challenging and, and worrisome about junior golf, you know, as has been stated numerous times, golf is just such an incredible lifetime sport and to have your child learn it, um, to have them fall in love with it, to have them enjoy it and have fun with it is something that I think is a gift. And what I think is a challenge as I watch what's happening over the course of the last I would say the last five years, uh, to a great extent prior to that, certainly it happened, but at a much smaller scale, as I just see children incredibly burnt out, not loving the sport, playing solely to achieve a college scholarship, which I understand the merits of that and the expense of college in today's environment and why that's a goal for some families, but it's taking away the joy of the game. And I'm seeing so many junior golfers that go on to collegiate golf and just quit the game entirely. So I think we're in a little bit of a, a quandary as coaches and as parents as to how to navigate the space. And, and I understand uh, the frustration that some parents feel in the space. So, you know, hopefully all of us together can have a real candid conversation about what's best to develop a whole athlete and a whole child versus this need at age three to drive your child to a college scholarship. Only 1% of junior golfers achieve that. Susie, let me pick this up with exactly the, the, the conversation you're having. The reality of golf is it does take more hours than other sports. That's just a reality. You look at a sport like football, uh, essentially practice is probably the least part of what makes a great football player. It's about how big you are, how fast you are, how strong you are, and then honing that skill. Golf, a different scenario. Uh, certainly we know the amount of just hours it takes to be a competitive golfer. So how do you balance what's necessary to be good as a junior golfer, but also the understanding that they are kids and they do have to have other aspects of their life that also take time? Yeah, I mean, I think in today's world, we're, we're fortunate to have analytics and we're fortunate to have data that kind of showcases to us in a scientific way the need to allow children to play, the need to allow children to find a passion and a purpose, but also the need to excel at multiple activities, whether it be music, whether it be academics, whether it be multiple sports. And I think the avoidance of specialization early is what can prevent some families from going down this rabbit hole where they're only having their child do one sport, whether that sport is golf or hockey or soccer or baseball. What's happening in the United States that's not happening elsewhere around the world is we have these rec leagues, then we have travel leagues, then we have premier leagues, and God forbid your child doesn't get the uniform for the premier league, and the coach tells you, well, if your child doesn't play year-round, they're not going to make the team. And you fall into this trap at 6th, 7th, and 8th grade of this is what we have to do to participate by the time we get to high school. And I'm here to tell you, that's not what the data and the analytics show. The data and analytics show children who are multi-sport athletes, who are multifaceted youth, who develop themselves as human beings in their communities, excel at a far greater rate while they're in high school than the children who excel while they're in middle school. And you're going to continue to get the elite anomaly in middle school and as a junior golfer that goes on to be number one in the world. But I'm here to tell you, the data doesn't showcase that at a great scale. What it does showcase is the child who participates in multiple activities, develops their trigger muscles, develops themselves at that whole athlete, becomes a far better athlete by the time they're through puberty and development 
And once that occurs, they take off and bypass most children who have specialized. So, you know, there's parents out there that'll say, well, that can't be the case. Uh, if we work at this every day, that's what Tiger did. That's accurate. That is what Tiger did. And that's what some other athletes have done. But when you really look at the grand scheme of things and other athletes currently succeeding on the PGA and the LPGA Tour, those conversations are very different than I played one sport and this is all I did. It's I played four sports. I was a huge athlete. I ended up falling in love with golf. I got really good at it by the time I was in high school. So this recruiting process and moving it to the high school level is, is a welcome addition. Because it's, it's showcasing to parents that their child doesn't have to be number one in the world in the seventh grade and win the U.S. Kids World Championship. Well, while that's a great accomplishment, it doesn't necessarily turn into a collegiate career or number one player in the world on the PGA or LPGA Tour. So I, I, try, to, I try to battle the conversations now with real data. I'm trying to share with parents that being a golf parent is not easy, that the amount of time and hours spent is a lot, and the sacrifices are a lot. And my children all did it. My older daughter played collegiate golf. My younger daughter played collegiate golf. She's gone on to a professional career. My husband and I both did it. So I'm not here to tell you that I didn't live in this space and wasn't at those events and, and didn't have my children playing in those championships. They certainly did. But we truly tried to keep it balanced as best we could. And um, it, it's, my children still play golf. They still actually enjoy playing golf. And that was our initial goal. And it's still our goal today is I want my children when they come visit us to say, Hey, you want to go play? And, um, we get to go out as a family and, and enjoy it together. Susie, that's great. Uh, this is Roger. And again, uh, I'll, uh, second Ryan. So, uh, thanks for being on the show today. Um, you've lived the, you've lived the, uh, the talk. I mean, in the sense of, you know, looking back at your career, uh, growing up as an athlete, uh, I, I understand that you were also a very good skier uh, and, and maybe took that up and wanted to maybe, you know, be, uh, go, go to college and ski, but then golf uh, actually ended up being your sport. Um, when, when we talk about or think about young girls today in the game, we see a lot of dropout between that, that age of 13 to call it 15, really in that, in that area where if they're going to decide or make a decision on golf, potentially as their number one or priority sport, um, they're dropping out. Is there something that some advice that you would give to those families and, and young girls at, at that point in their lives? What did, what did it take to change your mind or switch? Or was it because you played other sports and you realized you weren't really burnt out? You just love golf more than skiing. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I'll tackle my my side of it first, and then I'll answer your question. But um, so for me, uh, I grew up in Syracuse, New York, so it was really geography that that limited me to <laughs> playing golf for four and a half months in the summer. And then, but my family, we were all huge athletes. My sister was an athlete. I was never inside. I mean, I came off the bus and then out the door. It wasn't like today where we had scheduled activities. You just played all day. And my neighborhood was full of boys. I, I wanted to participate. I'd play baseball, skateboard, you know, pogo sticks. Whatever there was to do, I wanted to be doing. But my first sport was ski racing. It, I trained for it very early. I went away to boarding school and high school for it. I was on the Olympic development team. It was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an Olympian. It's, I drew ski racing courses from the time I was in the fifth grade in my notebooks at school. 
So it was a very early passion for me. And in the summertime, um, I found golf through my mom. My mom loved the game and my older sister didn't. And uh, who now has a daughter that plays for Duke and has a son who's an unbelievable golfer. But um, she was a swimmer. My mom just wanted a pal on the golf course. And that's how I found the game. So I was introduced to it in a way that was enjoyable and fun. It made me, I had the opportunity to spend time with my mom. I was never criticized for, for playing poorly. I think my first 18 hole round, I shot 122. And I think I was 11. And by the time I was 12, I was shooting 80. So it was just one of these, and I thought 122 was just incredible. I, I thought I played a great round, right? <laughs> so, you know, and I think today you think about that. I was 11 and you look at 11 year olds today that shoot that and they are almost shamed out of playing in tournaments because they're shooting 120. We need to welcome that. We need to, we need to celebrate that. We need to have an opportunity for these youth to enjoy the game and not, not be condemned because of a score because I, I never was. So for me, it was always, well, gosh, maybe I could, maybe I could get a little better next time I play. Mm. So it was, it was self-motivating and it was self-driven. And so I always had a growth mindset, not knowing that's what it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I credit my parents and my golf pro for that. But I think today, I think when you're looking at a 13 to 15 year old young lady, um, what you have to realize is if we're going to ask them not to specialize in golf, we have to be okay with them moving to another sport at that critical age of puberty. Because 14, 15 is where I do believe that there comes a point in time where if you want to be that 1%, you do have to specialize. And, and I think that's what makes the decision hard for families. Um, do you, do you, can you not play three? So, I mean, you have you know collegiate basketball players who played three sports and it's just more unusual today to be able to do that and to be that top 1% when you're competing against families that are specializing. So I always say to families, look, if, you're, if your child, girl or boy, has learned the game, my, my children's choices were 9 or 18 holes. That was it. I didn't care if they ever played in a golf tournament, but they were going to learn, this is what we do, and you're going to play 9 or 18. What do you want to do today? <laughs> hmm. And so at the end of the day, if they choose field hockey or they choose soccer or they choose football or they choose baseball or softball, you know, you need to be okay with that so long as their objective is, is focused. Um, if, if they're just there to enjoy and not to become elite, gosh knows, you know, just have them continue to find some friends to enjoy that time with, not just you. I think what happens to parents is they still think their children want to play golf with them when they're 13 and 14 and 15. And that's just, in my, in my experience, not, not accurate. <laughs> I mean, they, and so, I, you know, I, I, I think parents really mean well, but I think oftentimes they just want to be with their friends. They want to be with their, you know, pals. They, they want to do Instagram on the golf course and take photos at the lake. And, and parents get in the way of that and make it not fun anymore. And yes. if, we, if we can just realize that and, and realize phones aren't going away, all of this, Social media is not going away, but if you can do it in a productive way while playing a sport that is an acceptable behavior as you are a parent see fit for your child, you know, what is the harm in them going out and playing nine holes with some friends and snapping a few photos and enjoying a sport together? Last, last couple things, Susie. Uh, once again, thanks so much for your time. This has turned into a great conversation. Uh, for the parents, again, especially once again, uh, little girls that are showing that passion for golf that may play other sports, ultimately the decision to get a coach, to visit a coach, to have a lesson, 
that is a decision, especially for every family that is listening to this, the Hub of Junior Golf podcast. They have to make that ultimate decision from a financial standpoint and from just my daughter loves the game. My son loves the game. Uh, I'm not great at it. I can't really teach them the ins and outs, the, the rights, the wrongs. What is your advice to parents, especially with young and young, all the way up to young teenagers, about making the decision to provide paid coaching for their son or daughter? I mean, I would tell parents, look, that's obviously I can never tell a parent or a family how to spend their resources, nor would I even try to do that. It would just be disrespectful. But I can just share with you what I've seen occurring that I think has been productive. And for youth, you know, five, four, five, six-year-olds, you know, this has to be an environment of enjoyment. It has to be a shortened time frame. Their attention spans are quite short based on things that we have in our environment today. So trying to get your child at five or six to sit at a range and hit a bucket of balls with you and be serious and focused for half an hour is unusual. I'm sure there is the, you know, that's a generalization. I'm sure there's a child that can do that and you're going to get notes of, you know, multiple parents. Oh, I don't think she's right. However, I've taught hundreds of them. Right? And if you have children that love it, make it fun. Make it five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes there. Have your own little stations uh, wherever you are, whether it's in your backyard. Have a little chipping station to a bucket. Have a little uh, fitness station where they're doing, you know, jump ups, where you're training for speed, where you can, and all of this stuff is online today. All of it, right? Where you can say, okay, I don't have the resource to do this, but, but how can I train my five or six year old to enjoy this? But at the same time, we're getting stronger with your own mass, your own muscle weight. Um, you're enjoying, you're having fun, you're racing around cones with me, then we're going to do a couple quick swings, and then we're going to run back, and we're going to try to pitch it in the bucket. Um, you know, I had my children um, trying to hit it with wiffle balls into my um, sunroof of my car at the driving range, right? So I, and, and I just stay there all day. Have them hit it over the roof of your house. You can't care about the grass in your driveway or in your yard, and you just got to get over it and put some divot replacement tools in there. But at the same time, I think, you know, there will come a point in time. Um, you know, my mom was my teacher, my first teacher. She, she was a, a, a good golfer. She was an 18 handicap. She loved the game. She had a great eye. Her profession was, uh, she was a professor. She was a teacher. So she was a wonderful teacher and had a great eye. But there came a point in time where she saw that my talent uh, superseded her ability to help me. And when that became the case, and keep in mind, there was not the advent of thousands of lessons online um, that she could have looked up or information she could have ha had at, at her fingertips. Um, she, I was just so lucky to have a PGA professional that lived down the street from our house and worked down the street who took me under his wing. And I worked for him since I was 14. And he taught me, his name was Joe Tesori. Um, without Joe Tesori and without a PGA professional in my early days, I would not, I would not be a golf professional today. There's absolutely no way. And I credit him entirely with making the game enjoyable and fun for me. So I think it's going to be up to each individual family, but there are so many great group coaching programs now. That's what I would recommend. I would recommend a child get together with other youth, other boys and girls, whether it's PGA junior league, whether it's a group program at a public facility near you, private lessons at an early age. while that's great if you have the resources for it. Candidly, they're not fun for seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds. Um, that's a long time to try to focus with a teacher. And they already do that all day. And now they're in Kumon and, 
you know, tutors and music lessons and everything else. And now you're going to stick them in a, oh, now I got to focus for another half an hour with one person and try to try to do something that you think I should be doing. Put them in a group program where they have a blast and stations are set up and it's, it's, it's fun for them and encouraging for them. And then talk to the professional that's the coach of that. That professional will guide you on when it's time to take the next step. We have ADM programming now, with it, which is athletic development, and that we have stages for that. And many PGA professionals now are using PGA.coach to use those stages, and it's very easy for a parent to navigate, just like they would in baseball or hockey or gymnastics, what level your child is, what, the, what they need to learn at this particular level before they move on to the next level. And then you can make those decisions as you go on when it's necessary to supplement with private instruction or um, another practice day a week or extra time on the weekends, when it's time to get into a fun developmental tournament, when it's time to actually focus on a, on a stroke play event, just so you don't get your child out in front of themselves. Because as soon as you put them in something that they're not ready for, that's when parents run into trouble. Absolutely. Susie, you're talking my language. I love that as a golf coach myself. It's definitely uh, our philosophy of building athletes that enjoy the game and, and want to enjoy, enjoy movement. Um, I've got one last probably big question here. Um, as you know, the landscape in college golf, especially women's golf, is changing rapidly with the roster changes to, uh, I think now, uh, as last look that we saw was nearly 60% of the U.S. schools are international players. And obviously, as a young female player coming up in uh, wanting to play college golf, seeing limited now opportunities, is there something in your mind that we can do as as coaches, as a nation, as a golf organization to change this trend uh, to maybe create uh, better accessible opportunities for players in the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think you make a great point, and I think we've certainly tried, and I say we, I shouldn't have said we, it's not me, but, you know, we have so many wonderful section tours now. We have 41 sections across the country that offer junior tours, and many of them have developmental tracks now, whereas in the beginning, it was just you put your child in this tournament, and off they go. What's exciting now is sections have kind of this fun tour and then a challenge tour. And then if they want to separate and go into a champions tour, they can do that. And it gives them that pathway to becoming a better athlete, but also to becoming a better golfer that wants to specialize in the game. I think that certainly will see the advent of that producing more golfers that have the opportunity to play collegiately in the next three to five years because of the way that developmental pathway is working. AJGA, I mean, I could, I don't want to list tours because it wouldn't be fair. There's just so many great tours, the Hurricane Tour, um, that give you the opportunity to be seen and showcased in a way that allows college coaches to know who you are. I also think we have to do a better job of educating parents on the process, on what to do. If you have a parent that doesn't play the game, I think it's very difficult to navigate golf. We don't have one portal for them to be able to look it up and say, well, where do I go first? What do I do next? Where do I even find clubs for my child? Is there resources that offer scholarships and opportunities because we can't afford this, but I want my child to be involved in it. The PG of America is working incredibly hard to get to that point too. When you think of internationals though, you think of golf, women's golf, especially men's too, but women predominantly before the men's tours become so incredibly global is a global tour. It is a worldwide tour, and now colleges feel that same way. They feel like a worldwide tour. 
And so when you look at public universities, I've always, um, I've always struggled with public universities um, having internationals take scholarship money. That's just a personal opinion at a public university that people from that state are paying taxes to participate and play at that particular university. But, you know, I don't think any of us on this call or in golf are going to change that. And so it really comes down to the coaches and understanding, you know, how is their job being metriced? What are the key metrics they're trying to attain? And if their athletic director is um, forcing them to have wins and to keep that position and keep that job, I think it's a very hard conversation to have to not have a college coach go recruit around the world and pick the very best players they can pick um, because that is a metric of their job and their job performance. I do think, however, that we can do a better job in the United States preparing families and students to be that best pick. And I think we're getting better at it, but right now I don't think we're educating enough in the space to help parents navigate it, to get them at the right institution, to have them not only look at the top 30 institutions, but there are tons of women's golf scholarships that oftentimes get unused because parents don't even know there's opportunities there. And I think when we get to that stage, and can make American golfers the best pick, then we've got some options for those college coaches so that they can meet their goals and objectives and that we get the answers to the tests that we want for future for the LPGA Tour. Well, Absolutely. Susie, I, I, I told you this would be a brief call, so that's a triple bogey for me, but uh, certainly your insight has been incredible. I'm sure our listeners... Uh, are going to be absolutely thrilled with the knowledge that you've helped provide. And uh, thank you so much for taking this time. I know you had a busy weekend and uh, best of luck with everything you're doing. We'll see you soon down the road, but thanks for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And for any parents looking for some help, just hop on pga.com and you'll find a coach near you and, and they'll be able to help you navigate it even if you don't go to one of their coaching programs. Awesome. Thank you, Susie. Awesome. Have a great day. Thanks, Susie. You bet. Thanks Bye-bye. for having me, guys. Bye. And Roger, I think uh, certainly Susie brings up some good points, but I also think that for our listeners, and there are uh, thousands of you, we, we know that from the first two episodes, uh, this is probably a really good time, and this isn't a shameful ad. This is a, we do have help, Roger. We do have, there is a way where you can get this information that some people might think is lacking. There is one place that houses everything. So I'm going to take a minute here, Roger, explain how the junior golf hub works and how, you know, how it can benefit the families that are listening to this right now. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I loved uh, everything that Susie just talked about, Ryan, for us. Um, it, it's what this show is about, right? Is we want to help educate people. But for the juniorgolfhub.com, I mean, if you go there, as she mentioned, the educational resource, it is an educational resource and tool, uh, not only for the players, but for the parents, uh, more importantly, because they're usually the ones driving the bus and paying the bills. Um, but it's also out there for the college coaches. So on the Junior Golf Hub, all the things that we just talked about from what tournament should I play in? Where do I find tournaments? You can find thousands of tournaments to play in, in your local area, in your region, um, college searches. You can find every program. How do they use it, Roger? How do they? So let's say I want to find a tournament in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I log on to the hub. How do I find that? All you got to do is uh, get your code here from this. If you watch this, get a code. You get free access to the Junior Golf Hub, uh, and they can just log in and start right away and create wow. their profile. 
the better the profile that they create, the more coaches uh, visibility are going to be for them uh, and more, uh, you know, real good tools that they can access. So just use that code that you have here for the Hub of Junior Golf podcast. Awesome. So uh, to kind of wrap up, certainly, uh, you know, scheduling, there's probably some misnomers in the country right now that we're trying to explain that, especially at a young age, uh, picking said tournament isn't the most important part of your child's development. Uh, skill, having fun, athleticism is. Uh, use the hub to help that process. And, you know, as you decide that college golf is something that your daughter or son wants to do, uh, then as they get into high school, things become at a much more accelerated rate where tournaments do matter, coaching does matter, and certainly the Hub Roger can help with, with that entire process, which this country, frankly, has been in the need of for a long time. So uh, certainly I know the viewers and listeners are super excited to hear that uh, this podcast can get them access to the Hub. But uh, all in all, uh, you know, you are a teacher uh, Susie brought up some great points about the fact that our kids are in school all day to then come and quote unquote, give them another class that they have to go to is tough. What's your best uh, way where you try to, to keep it fun and not feel like you're be, you're, these kids are being lectured again? Yeah. I mean, listen, for, for, for us and for me, it's all about connecting with them, right? What, what do they like? What do they not like? Let's keep, it's a game. At the end of the day, it's a game. Um, I think once people understand where they are from a skill perspective, it puts it a little bit more in perspective of where they are and where they want to go to match, you know, kind of create a, um, a roadmap, if you will. Right. So to, to me, it's just let's have fun. I mean, uh, it, it's it's hard work. Uh, don't get me wrong. But, you know, we, we do something. I think, Ryan, you know, the player development index and assessment. We allow that to be something that they do. All of our players go through this process. It gives them a realistic view. Again, as uh, Susan was talking about data, this gives us data on them, where they are today. doesn't mean where they're going to be two years from now or six months from now. It just allows us to, to give them a real or for them to see a realistic view of where they are. So they're not putting expectations on themselves as a player and as a parent, right? As a parent looking at that and saying, hey, you know what? My kids should be winning, you know, an HAGA event, but yet we know that their skills aren't there, right? I mean, right. it's just unrealistic. And I think that's what uh, it's so much of our issue is in, in junior golf right now is this unrealistic expectation that parents are putting on kids. Again, Susie uh, alluded to this as, you know, early on, they got to win, you know, it's it's not, you know, it's not what's going to create the, the, the avid uh, golfer and someone who's going to really excel. It's It's rare if that is the case. Yeah. Well, it's uh, a, a very uh, informational uh, episode three. I can't wait to get this out to our, our listeners. And once again, uh, the Junior Golf Hub is your home where you really can tap into the, the, the answer to the questions that you're looking for. Uh, whether you want your son or daughter or they want to play college golf or not, golf is a process. There's not one source in this country like there is with Little League or, or different sports. So uh, do yourself a favor. Log on to the Junior Golf Hub and, and start to familiarize yourself around the website because it really can be a tool that helps your son or daughter negotiate this great game of junior golf. For Roger Nick and Susie Whaley, I'm Ryan Burr. This has been Episode 3 of the Hub of Junior Golf. Look forward to seeing you next week. And once again, always listen to the Hub 
of Junior Golf Podcast.